Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. And health, I guess. Well, this week we are engaged in extreme social distancing. I am remote in New York City, although that's not great for me. I think this is a pretty hot spot kind of place to be. Yeah. The train to New York this morning was basically empty. Union Station was like a ghost town. At the coffee shop, if you wanted like cream or sugar or anything in your coffee, you had to ask for it. And it was like administered <laughs> by the baristas. Like there's nothing like sitting out that you can touch. Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. Things are things are happening. So I was doing focus groups this week and people were pretty much not concerned. We had a great show rate and – you know, people were like, yeah, this is on my mind, but, you know, it didn't feel where I was, which was not in a hot spot, but a state that had had cases, so a couple cases, not a lot. They didn't really feel like everybody run for your lives. Um, but that's not true in D.C. Like somebody, you know, asked me if I if they wanted if I wanted help, like taking my bag off the. Uh, the overhead thing. And I was like, no, you don't need to touch it. It's fine. Like, don't worry. Like, And um, someone that I know, I'm not going to say who, it's not someone who lives in D.C. or works in politics, but has been tested positive. So, um, which means now other people I know are going to get tested. So, like, it's really, you know, people are, this is really happening. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to impact, I mean, I guess, I don't know how it's going to, like, we have a lot of polls on the virus today that we're going to talk about. Um, there's probably more polling right now on the coronavirus than on, like, the Democratic primary or the general election, for that matter. So because we have a lot to talk about. one of these things about. is an unfolding crisis, and the other one is not. <laughs> <laughs> Or I can say that if you can't, Margie. Yes, yes. So yeah. So um, one thing is in a different part in its life cycle. (laughs) They're in different parts. That is a diplomatic way of putting it. Life cycles. Very diplomatic. um, So that's what we're going to talk about. But I guess we have to obviously talk about what's been going on in the primary and the general. So what are the top lines? Top lines are we still have a race on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders announcing on Wednesday that he's remaining in the race, if only to continue debating. Joe Biden and attempting to push the Democratic Party more toward his policy agenda. But we'll discuss how we got here, how things have changed dramatically in the last two weeks since Margie and I last chatted. Um, We'll also talk about what this means for the general election. If Joe Biden is the presumptive-ish nominee, how is he looking for the general? Where are some potential points of strength and weakness? Then we'll dig into the polling around coronavirus, no longer just polling about the beer. We actually have data about people's thoughts on the Trump administration's response and more. And then at the end of the script, we have a whole bunch of random things. One was polling of prisoners. Um, There's something else I thought I saw in there. Maybe it all is is from the same poll. Um, But that's, that's what we'll be wrapping up our show with. Oh, and we have a little bit of polling here from Pew Research Center on news bubbles, which we can dig into too. Right. So I was in focus group. So I was not like just sort of huffing Twitter, you know, this week. (laughs) Maybe you were. I don't know. Same same as last week. I was in focus group last week. I was in Aruba, man. I was on a beach. I was not huffing Twitter. Good for you. Um, (laughs) So 
you know, I think obviously the, the, you know, there was a lot of big news in Super Tuesday and big news. We're recording on Wednesday and big news last night out of uh, the states that voted, particularly Michigan, was seen as an important state for uh, for Sanders, given after Super Tuesday and the wins that uh, Joe Biden accumulated. Then what happens with, uh, you know, Michigan as a state that where it had a bit of an upset in 16. And I saw a lot of people talking about and and I was just you know I'm I'm asking a question I don't have a I don't have a verdict here I'm just trying to piece it all together that the difference between Sanders Biden and Sanders Clinton demonstrates something about voters views on gender that it is a an experiment of sorts that you know because Clinton and Biden have similar issue profiles that the difference between how Sanders did in 16 versus now can be explained mostly by how people view a woman candidate. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I'm sure that there's that there's part of that, but I looked at, and we don't have exact comparisons for all the different states. So I just looked at Michigan quickly and the change from Sanders 16 to Sanders 20 among white men and white women breaking those out. They don't have, um, I couldn't look at black women or it, there wasn't enough comparisons to make it completely comparable among among non-whites by gender. But if you look at white men versus white women, that the change from 16 to 20 was ba- was not that different, you know, but between white men and white women. They both moved in a similar direction toward Joe Biden from Clinton in 16. So I, that doesn't necessarily mean that gender of the candidates didn't play a role, but it does, it does I think, mean that we should think about this and not by just looking at the overall numbers, but look at what happens beneath the surface. What do you think as an, as an observer? Yes. So I, I think, you know, I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of angst from folks on the left about the uh, demise of the Elizabeth Warren campaign and a lot of frustration that, oh my gosh, you know, their sexism is alive and well, look, that's the reason why Elizabeth Warren didn't win, not maybe her, she didn't pick the right lane to run in, or, you know, it was like, oh, uh, it's just because people don't want a female president, which I, I find that explanation a little grating because I think sexism is real. And I think using it to explain a candidate's poor performance entirely is very silly and ignores a lot of the other factors in play. Um, I wrote my column this week for the examiner on the difference between Biden versus Sanders and Clinton versus Sanders. And my big conclusion was that one, the Democratic electorate's priorities were different this time. So last time around, you, you can, there's less of this like, we have to find someone electable, you know, more of a like, okay, well, there's only two candidates. Let's let them hash it out. You know, there were, like the, you couldn't find any data suggesting there's any like fatigue where this time around, there's plenty of evidence of people being like, I'm satisfied with the field, but I, I just kind of want to like, let's just get this over with. So I think you have a different feeling on the Democratic side about appetite for a long stretched out hard fought race versus a let's just wrap this up and get to the general. And the other thing that's different is Bernie Sanders' favorables are not as good. Now, they're still very good. It's not that Democratic voters don't like him. But I I believe, according to CNN's polling, his favorables among Democrats were like 85% in spring 2016, and they're like 65%-ish 
if I'm recalling correctly now, where like both Biden and Clinton are hanging out in like the, the mid upper 70s favorables among Democrats. So it's not as though there's a big difference between how Democrats felt about Hillary Clinton versus Joe Biden. But Biden's favorables have been strong all along. They have not sagged, even as his like poll numbers, you know, went through that dip over the last like month or, you know, leading up into Iowa. But lots of Democratic voters were saying, look, I, I may be picking a Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar or whomever. It's not because I don't like Biden. I'm just sort of testing out my different options, where I think that's a reason why Biden's been able to sort of like lock this down quickly, that if you just want a a caretaker who is going to represent the party well and give you the best shot to defeat Trump, there's a perfectly logical case that Joe Biden's that person. And that's why this is playing out differently. You know, it's astonishing when you think about the amount of funding that Hillary Clinton and her like machine had and the fact that they really only had one adversary the whole time where for Biden, it's been this, I mean, at the beginning of this race, you had to have two whole nights of debates. One wasn't the undercard. It was just like each one had 10 people on the stage. It was wild. And his campaign really didn't have the kind of funding or machine that Clinton's had. And yet the fact that this has basically gotten wrapped up so fast is astonishing. But I do not think it is astonishing because there is sexism at play. I think it's much more easy to explain by saying what Democrats want out of their primary is just very different this time around. So, you know, there's what's next. I mean, there's a variety of states, you know, big states coming down the pike. I think uh, Florida may be the next big one, which according to public polls shows Biden with the lead. And it certainly mirrors what the national numbers are. The, you know, the, you know, he's over 50 in a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these polls. And so there's clearly some sort of effect, not just the winnowing of the field, but people wanting to be with the candidate who's winning contests, it seems. Um, It's certainly looking at the exit polls. Biden is doing better with folks who decided more recently. So that I think reinforces that. Yes. The the one thing, and this sort of sets up our discussion, which we can come back to in a moment about the general, is when you look at the crosstabs, the one thing that continues to stick out as unbelievably striking is less about gender and frankly, even less about race, even though we know Joe Biden is dominant among African-American voters in this primary. No one's been able to touch him on that. And, and that's been a huge piece of powering his comeback. But these age cross tabs continue to be bananas. And I wrote another examiner column back in December around the time that Biden rolled out his no malarkey uh, campaign slogan, where I was like, look, malar- you know, this is really leaning into the like, I'm an old guy vibe, <laughs> which is fine because in a Democratic primary, the bulk of voters are old. I mean, in a Republican primary, really the bulk of voters are old. But in a Democratic primary too, winning younger voters only gets you so far. And so uh, in the primary, it's a smart move to say, look, I'm going to let Sanders have all the kids and I will go for the older voters. Like that's smart math. The problem is if that lack of enthusiasm for Biden If Sanders' performance with young people is because they really, really, really like Sanders, but they also kind of like Biden too, maybe he'll be fine. But we've been seeing extremely low turnout from younger voters in this primary process. Sanders has not been having this youth surge that he was promising. And if young people just kind of look at 2020 and are like, ugh, I'm over this, 
the dynamic that benefited Biden in the primary of young voters not really caring for him a ton, but not really turning out, could be, I think, potentially very problematic for him in a general because Democrats need these big margins with young voters in order to, to sort of power their victories. Okay, so let's take a break and then we'll talk about Trump and the general. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Okay, so we're back. So we had stable numbers for quite some time that seemed to be kind of inching up that stable slash positive trend line, not positive approval rating for Trump, but moving and closer to that direction. But it seems to have taken a dip. He's now at 44% approval. He had been at like 46, 47 recently with the coronavirus, which I think has now been officially declared a pandemic since in the last half hour or so. Not that these numbers are that sensitive, but, um, but since this, you know, sort of latest news, most likely related to the, to the response to the virus, his numbers have started to drop. And uh, we'll talk about a little bit how that, you know, the various public polling about the response to the virus and people, you know, generally not approving of, of his response to the virus and how he's handling a crisis. Relatedly in the general election, Head-to-heads, you continue to see Trump down, generally he's down compared to either Biden or Sanders. There aren't that many places in these public polls. Maybe the exception is the Arizona PPP poll where Trump is up against Sanders but down against Biden. And that is only by, you know, two, a two-point difference really. And in most of these polls, you know, it, the direction, you know, the result is the same that Trump is – down to both candidates, but the margin is typically larger uh, for Biden, and Biden's the candidate in the ballot as opposed to Sanders. Yeah, these are these are numbers that continue to underscore the problem that Trump's going to have in the general. Because I think for a while the thought was like, oh well, Democrats are just sort of sorting things out, and he isn't really, you know. Biden hasn't like come under front runner scrutiny yet in a serious way. Maybe when he does, those numbers will fall. But that's not really what we're seeing. You have both CNN and Quinnipiac that have Biden up over Trump by double digits. And yes, as we saw in 2016, national polls do not predict who will become president because we don't have a national popular vote. But it is really unfathomable that someone could win the national popular vote by 10 points and still lose lose the electoral college. And you see it, you know, Monmouth's polling in Michigan has Biden up by seven. Yahoo News, YouGov, their polling consistently in Wisconsin, you know, has uh, Biden up by two. I think Wisconsin seems to be of those blue wall states, the one, even though I think it was like the narrowest in 2016, it's kind of the one he's hanging on to the best. And that's something that's not just from this poll, that's popped up other places. Um, Pennsylvania, Biden by six. This is tough if you're the the Trump campaign. This is, you know, this is not, oh, hey, we're looking at 
Virginia, which you can argue is not really a swing state so much anymore. This is the exact roadmap that Trump used to win last time. And these numbers are consistent. And Biden has now had a week or two as the, hey, this is the guy who's probably going to be the Democratic nominee. This is this is where the race is at. Now, anything could change. There's going to be a debate on Sunday. We know that Biden, as well as Trump, often have gaffes and things that they say that make people go, did that really just happen? Of a different nature, Biden and Trump's are not the same. I, I will preempt preempt your pushback. But that, you know, it, it could change at any moment. We're talking about two older guys prone Gaff to Gaff is one thing, like complete, you know, online bullying or demonstrating complete lack of basic understanding, I would I'm say. I'm just saying we're, we're dealing with like, <laughs> uh, we're dealing with like nitroglycerin here a little bit. Like, don't <laughs> shake it up too much because um, things could blow up. But it, it is, these aren't good numbers for Trump. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So that continues to be true. And, you know, at, at the very least from a polling perspective is now soon, or uh, let's just say for now, we're entering the phase where we don't need to worry about all the different, like what's required for a public pollster to ask all the questions needed to get, get a sense of just the ballot. You know, now we have two candidates, we can test two ballot questions. It doesn't require sort of a lengthy large amount of survey real estate to kind of get a basic handle. And maybe soon we can see some polling outlets test more traits of the different candidates, which we haven't really seen, you know, individual traits in a general election contest. We've seen a little bit of it in primary public polling. So maybe we'll soon see some of that. And that would be helpful to get the kind of understanding that internal polling has, but we haven't, we don't always see in the public polling. Now, if you are a Republican, there is some good news public polling that has come out this week, and this comes from Gallup. So ever since I started working in the polling world, my very first job working for Dave Winston of the Winston Group, they did a ton of work advising House Republican leaders at the time uh, and Senate Republican leaders. You know, that was like the big thing that the firm did. And from the moment I showed up at Winston Group in, you know, spring of 2005, Democrats had that slight advantage. You saw then Speaker Pelosi become the first female speaker after the 2006 midterms. And pretty much from then on out, even during the time of the big landslide victory that put Speaker Boehner in office, Democrats have held an advantage on which party do you approve of or disapprove of more in Congress? Now, part of that reason why Republicans have faced that deficit is because there have been many periods of time when independents have preferred Democrats to Republicans. But it's also the case that for a long, long, long time, Republicans' own voters did not like their leadership. If you asked about Republicans in Congress, your rank and file Republican voter was like, oh, those morons in D.C., <laughs> you know, they would get very agitated and frustrated. You, so you could see this right. differential where Democrats were like, oh, I like Democrats in Congress. And Republicans were like, oh, not those guys. That dynamic has shifted. And that has now, as Republicans have started to rally around their own congressional leaders, you know, Mitch McConnell is now lionized rather than like the subject of, you know, Republican attack ads against Republicans in primaries. All of that has led to Republicans now, for the first time since I have worked professionally in politics, leading on the question of, do you approve or disapprove the way the parties in Congress are handling their job? They are five points ahead of Democrats, according to Gallup's latest poll. Now, this is a very small margin. These numbers aren't great. Republicans at 40, Democrats at 35. But nonetheless, it is, I think, pretty remarkable the way that 
Republicans have kind of rallied around their own party in Congress, and that has powered this rebound. Again, yeah, I have not seen since I have worked professionally in politics. Yeah, no, it, that's, I mean, it looks like a thing. It's not dramatic, but, you know, it's definitely a, a, a different place from where it was before. So let's move on to coronavirus, because there's a lot of new polling out on this. CNN has something out. And what's the advantage of having something like CNN is they can compare views on the coronavirus to views on Ebola and swine flu, where they ask comparable questions. Currently, this was, and I think it's important with all all these polls to note that this stuff is moving super, super fast. And we're talking about it on Wednesday. You know, it may be different as of next week. And, you know, if you live in cities that have been really affected, you're going to feel differently, as we said, than, than elsewhere. But people like just under half, 49% in the CNN polls say they think the federal government's doing a good job. Now, it's the federal government, not Trump or any specific agency, just the federal government overall. 57% say they feel very or somewhat confident about that the federal government can prevent a nationwide epidemic. That is lower than, well, it's it's lower than Ebola. It is higher than swine flu numbers. So, but it has, it's 18% very confident. Uh, in Ebola, it was 33% very confident. And I think that's a reflection of like how the different diseases are trending as much as it is the you know, federal government response, I think it's probably all of that. But then they also asked, uh, you know, questions about like, how likely do you think it is that someone in your community will be infected? And 55% say likely, that's a lot higher than Ebola, for example. How prepared are you? 68% say prepared. I guess that's people have been like stocking up on like beans and flour and stuff like I have and pasta, you know, in case like there's a you know, the stores run out of supplies and such. And then they asked us this question, like, should the government prevent people from coming in if they've been, you know, places where there's an outbreak? 31% say yes. And 65% it's like basically two to one say we should just screen them and quarantine them, but, uh, you know, let people in who don't have any symptoms. So that's the CNN poll. Navigator, the project that I work on with them, that we work on with a global strategy group, we release something this morning that goes through a variety, you know, that talks a little bit more about Trump's response specifically and how concerned people are. Obviously, people have heard a lot. It's gotten a lot of like news penetration compared to a variety of other news, you know, big news stories that we've tested in different past navigators, like the impeachment inquiry or the Mueller report. Like a lot more people will say that they've heard a lot about coronavirus, which makes sense. And people are a lot more concerned that it's going to become widespread in the country than in their local community. So 72% say it's concerned about the country, 61% concerned about it in their communities, 57% concerned about someone in their family. So that's, I think that makes sense. And that number, I think, is consistent with the CNN poll. Then there's a a majority disapprove, uh, 49% of Trump's handling of the outbreak. And there's also a drop in his you know, positive ratings from other public polling, which is, I think, consistent with the overall numbers, but view the CDC positively. So it depends a little bit on whether, you know, when you're talking about the federal government, you're talking about Trump's handling, or are you talking about, you know, the federal government's handling? Yeah, this is something that I suspect is part of the uh, the difference in the CNN poll between 
the swine flu 2009 response and the response today about how confident are you that the federal government can prevent a nationwide epidemic. So with Ebola, I sort of set that aside because in Ebola, I don't believe we had any community transmission in the U.S. There was that one time that they like flew a doctor back. And even then you had like the news choppers surrounding like the ambulance going to Emory Hospital. It was like a whole thing. You know, so it was it was scary, but it never was like, hey, there's people in my city that have it. Where swine flu, it was a little bit more, you know, closer to this. But you also, I think part of the reason why you have these interesting, this scrambling of results where you actually had fewer people very confident by about seven points this time versus last time is... And I've seen this in other polls, you know, if you in 2009 asked people, do you trust the federal government to do anything? A lot of Democrats would say yes, and almost no Republicans would say yes, because it was A, not liking the federal government generally, plus B, it is a president from the other party. It was Barack Obama, we don't like him, all of that. That's the, you know, the dynamic. Where now, whenever I have a poll, even things that have nothing to do with coronavirus, if I'm asking about trust in the federal government, I wind up finding Republicans having higher trust than Democrats, which cuts against that like deep subsurface ideological underpinning of Republicans sort of looking askance at centralized power and Democrats being a little more comfortable that the federal government is can be a force for good. Um, but who's running the federal government winds up scrambling that signal. So I'd be curious what the partisan crosstabs on the swine flu and the coronavirus ones, since we know the top line numbers look the same or close, I'd love to know what the underlying party breaks for those 2009 versus 2020 question look like? I mean, the thing here that is going to be evolving is what happens as the facts become something like a shared understanding of the facts, right? Because you have a lot of polls. There was an Axios poll and there was, I think, others that showed, you know, a real party divide and kind of worry about coronavirus, whether they think it's exaggerated, whether or not they've taken measures. I mean, there's been a lot of different public polls about that, where Republicans are much more likely to think it's exaggerated, haven't taken as many measures. There could be a kind of regional piece of sort of where the virus has hit, but that's also reflecting, you know, the news coverage that they're receiving, right? The media bubble piece, which we may not get a chance to talk about, but, you know, 20% roughly of each party Folks are in a news bubble. As it continues to spread, we don't know how much it will spread. Then how do people reconcile their actual lived experiences of schools shutting down and people getting sick and so on with their view that it's exaggerated or that, you know, it's a hoax that from Democrats or that if they view Trump as having it, you know, under control or, or that he's, you know, he says not to worry, it's going to go away soon. So how, when those things come in conflict, what happens to public opinion? In the uh, Navigator poll, we asked a variety of questions about different kinds of measures or ex- examples of, of concerns that people have of Trump's response, whether it's getting harder to, you know, we've got American preparedness to respond to outbreaks like this, or cutting health care uh, has made people more vulnerable to getting sick or preventing people from uh, who've wanted to talk more openly about what's happening. All of these things are seen as, you know, serious concerns and as fair criticism. Like, you know, I, I think that it's, it's going to be important for 
for everybody who is in charge of disseminating information, whether it's public health officials or news to, you know, this is a case of where like people's lives are at risk by not giving people the full the full facts. And this, you know, criticism and concern about the president's approach is is seen as valid by most folks. Well, I know you've got a hard stop, Margie. So if you want, I can take the last block and I'll just talk real quick about the news bubble poll and the the okay Cupid poll. Okay. So if you need to bolt, I can wrap up the I show. Solo. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I do want next week there is a cool thing about a survey of prisoners that I want to give more time to. We don't have enough time to talk about it today. I apologize. But we will talk about it <laughs> next week if we can because it's pretty it's pretty cool. So anyway. Ciao, everybody. <laughs> Kristen has got the last block. <laughs> You're in capable hands. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Welcome back to a solo block here on the pollsters. Uh, I'm going to talk just a little bit about some new polling coming out from Pew Research Center about people being in a news quarantine. Uh, this is not a really a coronavirus reference, but they've done some research trying to understand where do Republicans and Democrats come down in terms of the news they consume? So Pew sort of coded certain news outlets as being more, these are, uh, they, it says news outlets from sources with right or left leaning audiences. So it's not really making a judgment about the outlet itself so much as these are audiences that are primarily watched by people on one side or the other. And they find that 20% of Democrats are in what they call a left-leaning audience news bubble, and 18% of Republicans are in a right-leaning audience news bubble, um, where the vast majority, 80% among Democrats, 82% among Republicans, do not. They tend to get news from a whole bunch of different sources. Uh, this tends to line up with things that I hear in focus groups. I will often have clients that go, well, I want to know where Group X gets their news. And if in a survey or focus group, you pose that question, where would you say you get your news? Not a single person in my focus group will have the same answer to that question. So even though there's a lot of consternation about folks living in media bubbles where they're only hearing certain things, I think of this as being much more a phenomenon of the very online. And Pew now has some data that I think sets my mind at ease that not everyone is living in an ideological news bubble. However, speaking of bubbles, um, we've had OKCupid, 
uh, a dating site that as of late has had an awful lot of marketing all about dating only within your bubble and about the virtues of only dating people with your own political views. Um, but they've now also done a little bit of a study that they've released to the Hill newspaper. They found 88% of people on their app are continuing to date as normal, despite the rise of coronavirus. People are not deciding to become total introverts. And that's worldwide. In the U.S., it's at 92%. They found that OkCupid users in Seattle were slightly less willing, but still 86% said, yes, I'm still going out on dates. 91% in LA and DC, and even in Denver, where the governor has declared a state of emergency, according to this article, 97% of people will continue dating as usual. I have been very sad. A handful of conferences I was supposed to, to supposed to attend that I was very excited for have been canceled or postponed. But there have been a couple of other things that have gotten scrubbed off my calendar, and I can't say that I'm too sad about it. You know, there are certain things that are being moved to conference calls. People, let's all do this remotely. And I'm not. I'm not totally hating it. My inner introvert is kind of loving this excuse to just hole up in my house. Well, that's all we've got for this week. Thank you for listening to The Pollsters. I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at, at @ksoltisanderson. You can find Margie at, at Margie O'Mero or both of us at, at The Pollsters. Tune in next week. We will break down more of what's going on in the primary, where things are headed in 2020. We'll get to that poll of prisoners that we couldn't get to this week and more. So we'll see you next week.